Welcome to Fireside with Voxcake, podcast for professional public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of Voxgate.com, which is an online community and service for speakers and event professionals. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. Dov, it is uh, great to have you on the podcast. Uh, great to be speaking to you. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Richard. I appreciate you inviting me to be on. Awesome. Well, let's just jump straight in. Uh, I have a kind of a favorite question I like to ask speakers straight off, which is, sure. uh, can you tell me about the very first time uh, that you spoke in public, your first public speaking engagement? Uh, did it go well, Natalie? Engagement? Oh, it's the first time I spoke. First time I spoke. I don't know. That's my, that's my mom. Um, <laughs> speaking gigs. Um, my first speaking gig uh, came about totally not expected i was uh i've owned businesses i own businesses and ran businesses been entrepreneurs as a kid so i owned businesses at that point in australia and one of my clients would come in and we'd have these deeply philosophical conversations and we talk about philosophy and we talk about psychology and we talk about many different areas and um one day he came in, this is 1984, and he said, um, I'd like you to come speak to my people. And I said, about what? And he goes, doesn't matter, you can speak about whatever you want. And I said, who are your people? He goes, all the managers, are, he owned a national menswear company. So I was yeah, like, yeah. what the hell am I going to talk to him about? I, I don't speak. And he's like, yeah, you, you can do this. So he convinced me. I asked him how long. He said an hour. I, uh, an hour. I was frightened to death. I agreed to half an hour. Now an hour is a warm up, but I decided yeah. I would do it. <laughs> but he said he had some conditions. And I was like, right, here we go. Now, remember, this was 1984. So in 1984, my hair was chest length. It was looked like Louis the Thirteenth with the ringlet curls. Um, okay, can we get pictures for the show notes? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, earrings that you could you could swing parrots off. Uh, there were big loop earrings. Um, <laughs> I really was <laughs> right. uh, I had been a bodybuilder for, at that time for about six years. And when you're in your early 20s and you're a bodybuilder, it's very important that everybody knows. So you wear clothes that show it off. Yeah, so I'm in yeah. this screaming skin tight t-shirt. I'm still a bodybuilder, but nobody, I don't show it off anymore. But it's in a screaming tight t-shirt. I'm in ripped jeans. My hair's out and long and wild and there's the big earrings in. And he says to me, you have to come, my condition is you have to come looking like this. And I said, but Steve, why would I do that? And he goes, I said, you know, I have suits, right? Because he made my suits. When I wasn't dressed like that, yeah. I would dress in these beautiful suits and he would make them for me. He said, I don't want you wearing a suit. I said, well, can I put my hair in a ponytail? He says, no, I want you to look just like this. Anyway, I agreed. I showed up on the day, long boardroom with all the guys sitting around early eighties and they all look like Gordon Gecko, the buttoned up tight yeah. and they're, you know, looking very wall street. And, um, I put my head in the door and they gave, they gave me, um, I'll, I'll use the clean version. They gave me what we call in the, in the UK, they bugger off nod, which was, <laughs> you know, they look at me and went bugger off. 
<laughs> and just sort of shook your head and said, like, you're in the wrong room. And I just smiled and stayed there. And I was very nervous, but I stayed there. And I will tell you that I don't remember anything I spoke about, but I do remember my opening. I remember that very clearly. And Steve said, you know, let's welcome our speaker. I walked out and honestly, Jaws clunked at the desk because they couldn't believe that I was going to be their speaker. And I walked out and it, this was in the early 80s. As I said, there was a lot of issues around racism with, with the, uh, the native Aboriginal people of Australia. And so I walked out and I said, put your hand up if you're a racist. Well, you can imagine no hands went up. This is your first public speaking. My very first. Yeah. Uh, and uh, wow. put your hand up if you're racist. Nobody puts their hand up. And I said, put your hand up if you would judge somebody by the color of their skin or the way they look in any way. Nobody puts their hand up. And I said, you're a bunch of freaking liars. Every single one of you judged me by the way that I look. Yeah, yeah. You decided how much money I had. You decided how intelligent I was. And you decided whether I could be your customer. What you don't know is I am your customer. The reason I know, Steve, is because I'm a client of you and you're a client of me. I, I do business. Steve, he does business with me. You make my suits. I don't always look like this. I said, and your bias got in the way. Now, at that point, I looked over at Stephen and figured I might have shit the bed because it might be all over. But he looks like he's got his face ripped open. Obviously, he was far smart, smarter than me. I've done it, delivered exactly what it is he wanted. Yes, of and course he did. It was, and it was a brilliant moment. Now, if the story ended there as a speaker, you'd go, wow, this guy was a superstar out of the gate. I mean, you're a natural. Right? Total natural. Well, yeah. there's a little more to the story. Okay. Because, you know, obviously he was delighted. It was fantastic. I don't remember anything else I said, as I said. Um, it was a couple of weeks later, Steve came in and he said, yeah, Alistair wants you to come speak for his company. Alistair also owned a, a national uh, clothing company. He said, he wants you to speak. It's like, great. So what do I do? I did the thing that most speakers do. I went and did my research on speakers. I found out about speakers. And it was back in the day when, you know, I was listening to Zig Ziglar and, you know, those yeah. kinds of speakers and Jim Rohn and everybody wore uniform. And the uniform was a blue suit, white shirt, red tie, and patent leather, black shoes. And none of them had hair down to their chest and none of them wore big earrings. So I took all of that off, cut my hair, wow. wore a nasty blue suit, white shirt, red tie, showed up and died a death, died and total death. And, and you know, here's, here's the key. Nice guy, slow learner. Took me five years to work out what the problem was. Wow. So I had a win based on what I teach, which is authentic leadership speaking. I teach people how to speak authentically. I had a win purely on being authentic. And then I lost for five years because I forgot the very thing that worked. By trying to be professional. Well, by trying to be the image of what people think. Yeah. So one yeah. of the things I see today is I see speakers, like I swear, I don't hide that, I swear. I've always sworn on stage, I swear. I, I minimize my F-bombs, but I do swear. But what I'm seeing now is I'm seeing speakers who are starting to drop F-bombs because because Gary Vaynerchuk drops it. Yeah. Right? Gary, that's Gary's personality. And when you are not a, a person who swears and you throw it in, Everybody in the audience knows it's an effect. You're just throwing it in for, for effect. And Gary never swears for effect. That's his language. When I swear, it's not for effect. It's part of my language pattern. When you throw it in because you think, oh, well, I'm going to be appear cooler and younger or yeah. more hip, what you're going to look like is a more inauthentic dick that nobody's going to really want to listen to anymore. You will have shut them out. This, is, this, this kind of feeds into um, your philosophical approach to speaking, um, which is about authenticity. Mm -hmm. But let's, let's talk about philosophy a little bit more because uh, you're sort of a student of philosophy. How does that feed yes. into 
your speaking and uh, your skills as a speaker? Uh, how does it f- fit in both? I mean, yeah. uh, I have to remind myself at a level of, uh, of Buddhism to not be attached. <laughs> but, uh, I'm not very good at that. Uh, I've only been practicing that for about 40 years and I'm still crap at it. You could think so, Buddhism uh, would be pretty handy for going on stage, right? You know, you know, yeah. Well, yeah it, but again, you know, this is one of the things for me is I'm, I'm a, I'm a practical philosopher. So, um, I have a lot of wonderful philosophical ideas, but my response to that is philosophy is worth the hole in the donut because there's nothing, you, you know, if you're not doing anything with it, who cares? You get to put out these wonderful things and say these marvelous things that are very impressive. Oh, don't be attached. But, you know, yeah. human beings are attached. This is why that is a hard thing. We are attached. The psyche of the human being, you know, in my studies of psychology, one of the most important things to human beings is belonging, is to be attached. And when we don't have a, when we don't have a community, we will do it to a thing. And sometimes that thing is an outcome. So, you know, there's, so there's certainly that part of it. But in the work, all of the philosophy for me, so as you know, I studied all these different philosophies, um, Eastern and Western. And I also studied very deep psychology. I studied family dynamics um, and uh, what was then called uh, the psychology of excellence, which today is called the psychology of leadership. And what I know is that, A, the philosophy on its own is a waste of time. It's what you do with it. And B, that when when you boil all that down, it's what's at the essence so what's at the essence for me, I call it soul. Now that's not a religious term. I know people have, have that understanding of it, but it's soul. It's that part of you that is somehow infinite. It's that part of you that is beyond your own mind. And that when you can get into that state, you're in what, um, what Stephen Kotler uh, and Jamie Wheel call, you're in a flow state. When you're in that yeah. flow state. So the, the challenge for speakers is, and it's certainly a very big challenge for me, is that we understand that we have to be practiced and we have to be rehearsed and we have to know what we're talking about. But if you're practiced and rehearsed uh, too much, then you're wooden and you're inauthentic. So how do you, the, 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 the masterful art of speaking is in having the science of it and then knowing when to let it go. So when we teach speaking, what we say is, I, I openly say, I'm here to teach you about speaking. And what you need to know is I'm going to teach you a structure. And I hate structure. I hate structure. I hate structure is just like drives me nuts. But I use that structure to set me free. What that means is it's something I can lean on as I go into the next piece. And then I can return to the structure. It's, uh, I think you've hit on something there. It's only happened to me a very few times when I've been speaking that flow state. And it's one of those things where you know it when it happens. Yes. But it's, you can't, it's very difficult to analyze. Um, my uh, academic background is in Western philosophy, which is kind of, kind of on the other side of the spectrum to yours. Right. Um, but I, I understand what you're trying to articulate in, in the sense that if you find your authenticity and then you find your soul, it enables that, that to what to me is like an empirical mental state, which is the yes. low state. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's probably important to bring together uh, those different types of advice. Uh, I mean, I, we're, the types of advice... I like to give the speakers are around, you know, you feel fear before you go on stage, but that's actually adrenaline and it actually makes your brain work better. So you 
you, you can effectively give a talk uh, in, a, in a more articulate way. Um, but of course, that's very dry sort of scientific advice. It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't really help you with the uh, the soul side, I guess. Well, the also thing is that. You know, we've all heard the saying that people's number one fear is speaking. I don't know if that's true, to be honest with you. I think it's probably crap, but um, it's a nice like to say that in surveys, right? I like to say oh, that, particularly <laughs> speakers, because you know, it makes us sound fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> My God, you know, people skydive, but I speak on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, no, uh, so, so um, I, I don't know how true that is. What I do know is this. Um, I've been speaking for 34 years. I still get nervous on stage, probably more nervous than I did even 10 years ago. Um, What I know about it is this, because I studied neuroscience, is that the distinction between excitement and fear is one molecule. It's one molecule. That's all it is. In the the neuro uh, polypeptide cascade that's released from the hypothalamus of your brain, whether you are terrified or whether you're excited is one molecule difference. You can shift that one molecule by moving into the future. So you move into the future. Now, what happens is the ego mind will, as a speaker, when you're nervous, will move you into the future. And the future looks like this. You are crap. Oh, my God, you are awful. Boo, get off the stage. That's, that's the ego moving forward. But what happens, and I just want to give everybody this, this technique, this strategy. The ego mind moves you forward to put you into the catastrophic future, but it doesn't take you past that. So if you want to get past that, here's how it goes. So I say to you, how are you feeling? You say, I'm nervous. I go, okay, so what might happen? I might get out there and I might not remember anything I'm going to say. Okay, then what might happen? Then I might stand there and not know anything and nothing goes on in my mouth. Great, then what might happen? Well, then people would look at me and they would wonder what's going on and they'd feel tension and I go, uh-huh. And then what might happen? And then they go, well, then people might start a boo. Uh-huh. Then what might happen? Uh, then they might go away. They might get up, walk out and say, this is terrible and leave. And I go, uh-huh. And then what might happen? See, I'm taking it past yeah. the catastrophic, right? And I go, then what might happen? And we keep going with this until you eventually go, well, I guess I'd just do it again. another practice right so what happens is the ego mind stops at this devastating catastrophic moment but if you walk it all the way through there's there's something else and and you know i know know this from studying psychology because if you think about somebody who suicides they don't go all the way to the end they in the pain they're in the suffering and they go i need relief now and i understand that because i've been severely depressed i get it but if you walk it through to the very end what will happen so if I'm speaking to a depressed person, have you been depressed before? Yes. What happened? It went down the shitter. Then what happened? You know, I couldn't get out of bed. Then what happened? You just keep going and going. And eventually you go, well, I got out of bed one day and I went to the store and I bought a bottle of milk and I made myself a cup of tea. Okay, good. Yeah. So there's a sense of a light on the other end. And what we tend to do as speakers is we get caught. I know I do it too. We get caught in this, oh my God. Right? But nobody's life is going to be devastated by, a, by doing a shitty presentation. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Because here's the news. I want you to listen to me on this as a speaker. I want you to get this because I tell this to my speakers. You've got to know is nobody needs your information. I know you like to think you're smart and you've got this wonderful thing to share, but nobody gives a shit. How do I know? They've got Google. 
Yeah. They can okay. Google anything you're going to talk about and spend the next 10 years reading from that one search and never get enough information. So your information is worth nothing. It's the delivery of the information in a way that it connects to your audience. So you have to be entertaining. You have to be engaging. You have to be in a relationship with them. And if you're not authentic, you're not in a relationship with them and they can go to Google instead of you. And it's a lot cheaper. So your job is to disseminate, disseminate the information to into the best possible uh, bite-sized chunks and deliver it in an entertaining, engaging way. And you can only do that by being authentic and being real. And you can only do that by being vulnerable. So if you are a speaker, Listen, 34 years, I walk out on stage and I'll say, hey, just get to give me a minute. And they go, uh, and they go, you're probably wondering why? Uh, because I'm about to go change my diaper and I'll come back, right? Yeah. And I say stuff yeah. like that because yeah. I'm still nervous. Yeah. And, and what that does is that endears your audience to you. People see um, public speaking as being essential to leadership. I mean, a lot of what you've described in terms of the, the skill is sort of aligned with moving forward in your career. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of the reason we do this podcast is, especially in the technology industry, speaking at conferences is seen as, as a, a fast track to promotions and building a profile. Of course. Yeah. Um, but here's a question. Is it possible to be a leader without being a public speaker? Have you, have you met people like that? Do they, do they exist? Uh, <laughs> find him under a little rock. He's gonna go. Oh, here you are! I've been looking everywhere for you. <laughs> um, I think it is possible um, to be a, gr- a great leader without being a great speaker. Um, in, in the context of being an orator, yeah. but you will never be a great speaker without being a great communicator. So great, great speakers are not often great leaders. Great leaders are not often great speakers. But great, great leaders who come together to be great speakers are the ones who make the greatest impact. So you have to have communication. And one of the things about being a speaker is it forces you to learn how to communicate. That's why it's a powerful skill. I, I teach speaking, as you know, to people who become professional speakers. But I also teach speaking to people who are not professional speakers. Mm who need to learn the skill set so they can be better leaders in the, in the, with the organization they're running, with the teams that they run. So yes, it's, it's an incredibly valuable skill set, if only to teach you uh, how to communicate better. You know, so we, in, in my training, we teach you uh, cadence, we teach you tonality, we teach you NLP. We teach you all those things. Uh, we teach you anchoring, where to anchor yourself so that you can literally point to a place on the stage and everybody in the audience knows exactly what you're talking about, even though you never said a word. So wow. learning those things, right? These are very powerful pieces for us to understand in communication because people have triggers in their mind. And once you know the triggers of that individual, you can access those and put them into a state that allows them to really get what it is that you're saying and to create a movement because leaders are no longer bosses. We are now in charge of creating movements around our brand, around our technology, around what it is we're doing. And if you look at the startups that have taken off, they've created a movement. That's what the key is. It's not not that it's the best technology. 
oftentimes it's not the best technology. Indeed. Created a movement around it. I think um, I think that's one of the most interesting things I've experienced as, as uh, I've ended up in leadership positions is mm-hmm. how little power you actually have as a leader. And if, if, if people that you were, you were leading realized that, <laughs> I think you'd be completely screwed. Um, you know, you yeah, can't I have really a completely different, op- completely opposite response to that. That's fascinating. Um, I, I think you have a shitload of power to empower. To empower, and if, yes. And if, to empower. And if everybody found out, they would all step up. But that's, that's the thing. It's, it's so hard to get beyond your own ego to reach that point right. and do that for people. Right. So, so uh, you know, in the, it, when, as you know, we do work with companies and organizations and leaders of all kinds of things. And it's the first thing we teach them is the power of vulnerability and leadership. Admit you don't have any power. Only yeah. it's like, you know what? They put me in this position. I've climbed the ladder to get to this position. But actually, the real power is with you. I want to empower you because I don't know. I don't know after stuff. Like, I, if you gave me my books for my accounting for my company, I, you know, it might be, it might as well be hieroglyphics. I have yeah. not got a freaking clue, but I can hire somebody, somebody's who are spectacular at it. I don't mind admitting I don't know anything about that. I, I, I'm an egomaniac if I pretend I do. Yeah. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in serving from where my power and my strength is. That's it. That's what great leaders do. Let's return to um, uh, public speaking as, as the skills of public speaking. Uh, one of the ways I like to learn is by learning from mistakes. Um, so to kind of further that example, um, I often like to ask people, what's the, uh, when did you totally bomb? What is the worst talk that you ever gave? And what did you learn from it? I've given many where I've bombed. Um, I've given, so, you know, I would have a different category of it and I'll tell you why. I have had presentations where I have presented, stood on the stage and at the end gotten a standing ovation and left and said to my, and my wife says, wow, you know, that went really well. And I go, yeah. And she goes, what do you mean? Yeah. And I go, yeah. And she goes, what was wrong? I wasn't fully present. I did all the right things. Yeah. So I bombed in my head. It's the, and that's the only thing I can rely on. So I have bombed in those environments. I've had other presentations. I know where I've gone and, and my wife goes, wow, that was a hard audience. And I go, yep, but I was fucking awesome. That was amazing. (laughs) So you, you've got to be able to have that self check too. Right. So have I bombed? I'll give you an example of one where I bombed and I was, it was awesome. I was amazing. Um, I was a friend of mine who was double booked and he said, you know, I've got this gig. It's a non-paying gig. It was a promotional gig. I agreed to do it, but I got double booked and I forgot, would you do me a favor? It's 10 minutes walk from your house. So I was like, yeah, okay. You know, he's a friend. Okay. I'll go do it. So I get there and it was, it was the Vancouver, I'll even give this away. It was called the Vancouver Gyros Club. And I still don't know what that means, um, but I renamed it the Vancouver Jerry's Club and you'll know why. Because when I got there, they started the introductions. It was, first of all, it was a speech over dinner, which was a horrible, horrible thing to do. People are scraping plates and knives on. It's just horrible, right? Never want to do those things. I've never done another one. Um, And, you know, they're all sort of eating while the, the MC is up. And the MC starts the presentation by talking about who's dead and who's hospitalized. 
That's why I call it the Jerry. How, how do you follow that? <laughs> I mean, so it gives you a clue about, you know, about the age group I'm talking to. Right? It was like, oh, my God, right? Oh, yeah, well, uh, our founding member, Jerry, passed away last week. There were 400 people at his funeral. I'm like, okay, he doesn't want to. Uh, um, and and Barry has been hospitalized. Um, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> it was like a bad Monty Python oh, sketch. Wow. And then I, you know, and then I got up and I and I spoke and it was and I I was awesome. And my wife said, you know, um, wow, they were dead, huh? And I go, yeah, but I was awesome. So sometimes what I mean by it when I say is that there are. I've had. I think you've got to set your expectations, and I saw so I had. A presentation I did, and this is an example. Um, uh, in 2015, my house burned down in November, burned to the ground. Um, my wife was wonderful. She went into full devastation. She was wonderful. She felt her feelings and she collapsed into it. And so she recovered fairly quickly. I, on the other hand, went into leader mode and, you know, it's fine. We'll get with it and, you know, got find a place to live and blah, blah, blah. In March, so three, four months later, four or five months later, um, I was on a speaking tour. I was in the East Coast, and I was being sort of driven around from gig to gig by this guy who was a failed speaker. So I was pissing him off in every possible way I possibly could just because I wasn't. And so he would constantly throw – and I was locked in a car with a guy for a couple of hours while we were driving yeah. from places to place. And he would just take these pot shots at me, right? And normally – I'm like, well, whatever, you know, it's your shit. But it was, it started to get to me. I went to the next gig, did a gig, and he gave it to me afterwards. And I went into full PTSD from the fire, didn't know what it was. Yeah. Right? So I was in an anxiety attack, panic attack, felt like my ribcage. And I failed miserably, miserably the next three gigs. They were all okay. You know, uh, there were people who would have given me a 10 you know, but I wouldn't, and I know I wouldn't. Yeah. But what is the lesson there? The lesson there was that somebody is going to whisper in your ear, and some people, and you've got to know this, some people are going to come up, and th particularly I live in Canada, so people are going to come up and they're going to tell you, oh, that was wonderful, and they're full of shit. They're going to say that to anybody. Yeah, that's no use to you, is it? It's <laughs> it's, it doesn't help, right? Yeah. And some other people are going to come up to you and say you were terrible, and that doesn't mean anything either. Because here's the thing, everybody lives in their own subjective reality. So your job is to, to present something that will, will absolutely rocket 20% of your audience. Absolutely, like, lift them out of the, out of the stratosphere. They're like, wow, 20% of your audience. That's it. Then there's another 30% who are going to be like, wow, that was really good, and I learned some things. Then you've got another 50% left. And of the 50%, you're going to have about 30, 35 who are going to be pretty neutral, as in, yeah, it was good. But what you delivered is a time bomb. So they're going to be in bed that night or driving home, and they're going to go, geez, you know, he said that. Now I'm thinking about that. It's, it's a delayed reaction. And the other 15% are going to hate you. And I didn't know, notice I didn't say dislike you. I said hate. Because as my mate Larry Wingert says, if I'm not getting death threats, I'm not doing my job. <laughs> and it's the willingness to say something that is provocative enough, not for, not for the sake of being provocative, but because it's something you stand behind. It's the hill you're willing to die on, that some people are going to be pissed off. That is, And if you're not willing to go to that, 
You are not a speaker. I'm sorry. You're, you're, you're somebody who's just puking out words, but you're not there to deliver as a leader, speaker leader, because that for me is what it is. It's a speaker leader. You're not there as a speaker leader unless you're willing to say something that is a hill you're willing to die on. That's it. That is fantastic advice. Um, you know, and I, I, I look at so many uh, technology conference talks that are just, they're boring. But the reason they're boring is it's just telling people information they could get from Google, like you said earlier, and they haven't chosen a hill to die on. That's fantastic advice. Thank you. Uh, and also, I, I love the way you break down the audience. Um, you're just not going to reach everyone, but have phenomenal impact with the people you do reach. Uh, that is, that's fantastic. Kind of my closing question is, um, I'll just paint a, a picture in your mind of um, a particular person. So let's say uh, it's a young man or a woman in their 20s mm -hmm. uh, in technology industry or perhaps a different industry. They've realized that public speaking uh, is an essential skill, a path forward for them to move their careers. Um, and yet they've never really done it. Um, so it's kind of like this is day zero. What, what's their pathway? Uh, they don't have to become a professional speaker, but to become uh, a competent speaker or somebody who can use public speaking as a leader, how do they go from, from A to, to B? Number one, right at the beginning. So I can tell you all the technical stuff you want to hear, do that up the yin-yang, but here's the truth. You gotta know you. So what's your purpose? And I don't say the purpose of your speaking yeah. What is your human purpose? Why are you on the planet? Because I tell you something, you're not on the planet to sell this fucking technology. That's not why you're here. All right? So the technology may be here to serve your purpose. I don't know. But you have to know your purpose. If you don't know your purpose, you will jump around like a chicken with your head cut off looking for the next hot thing. Yeah. Know your purpose. Great leaders have deep self-knowledge. And from the deep self-knowledge, they develop deep emotional intelligence. That's great. But how do you find it? I mean, I, I can't disagree with purpose being a fantastic thing to have. Uh, but this is like somebody in their 20s. I mean, <laughs> surely that's Absolutely. Like your purpose when you're 70 and you're looking back and... Well, it's, it's interesting. And it's a good question, Richard, and I appreciate it. So thank you. Um, because um, I have a purpose program and I actually teach yeah. people how to find their, their purpose. Um, and we've had people in that program as young as 20 okay. and as old as 70 and everything in between. Um, and yes, there is a certain advantage to being able to look back on experience. There's no doubt about that. So I'm not going to deny that, but we have put people through the same process who were in their twenties who can do it. Very well, indeed. There was a young guy I taught to speak. He's a TEDx speaker. He now speaks in Africa, in the UK. He speaks all over the world. Um, I think he's 22 now. Um, okay. And it was about finding his purpose. And we changed you know, what he was talking about entirely to be aligned with his purpose. So I, I have a program. Uh, you can find it on my website at fullmontyleadership.com, fullmontyleadership.com, and then go forward slash products. And if you scroll to the bottom, it'll show your programs. And there you can find out about it. So let me just tell you this. If, if you're 20 years old, yeah. you, you go, oh, I don't know how to find my purpose. Your purpose is not your passion. At 20, you think your purpose is your passion. You okay. go, I'm really passionate about this. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is what travels in the vehicle of your passion. Your passion is the vehicle that transports it. Richard, are you a straight man? I don't mean to be personal, oh, but yeah. can I ask you that question? <laughs> you are. Yeah. Right. So can you remember being somewhere between 15 and 19 years old? 
Yes. Can you remember what you were passionate about if you were like most straight men? Uh, yeah, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> exactly. Right? So if, if your passion is supposed to be your career, that means you're either a rock musician, you're a yeah. drug dealer, or you're a gynecologist. And I'm guessing you're none of those three. <laughs> For sure. At least not openly. <laughs> <laughs> well, for today. <laughs> but today, at least during this interview. So my point here is that your passion is transitory. We move from passion to passion. It's a yeah. vehicle. Your purpose is not. Your purpose has actually been there from your very, very early childhood, and it will be there all the way till your death. The idea is to bring it to the surface. Now, to help everybody out, I'm going to give you a way to get this. If you go to, if you go to fullmontyleadership.com forward slash gift, G-I-F-T, if you go to gift, on there, I'm going to give you a copy of my book called One Red Thread. If you go to One Red Thread, get that book. It's an ebook, easy to read. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's got exercises in it. Do the exercises and it will help you to find your purpose, whether you're 20 or whether you're 80. It doesn't matter. Fantastic. I'm just trying to tie together everything that you've said in my head. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a technical skill to speaking, but yes. uh, if you're not authentic, you're never actually going to reach that flow state, which is, which is where you really connect with the audience and you, you're, you're satisfied with yourself in terms of your own performance. Um, but you can't even get there unless you, unless you do some homework, I guess, is maybe the correct mm -hmm. term on your purpose on why you're kind of here. As I said, you know, you've got to be, you've got to know your purpose. You've got to know the hill you're willing to die on, what it is that really matters to you, what it is you're fighting for. So these are very important pieces in, in, in why you're actually speaking. Otherwise, you know, I, when I tell my speakers is this, you know, as I said to you before, no, nobody really gives a shit what you're saying and what we are mm -hmm. at worst, at best we, we, you know, we, we impact people's lives and that's always the goal. But at worst, you're momentary entertainment. And most speakers are nothing more than second-hand freaking rock stars anyway. We've all got yeah, a rock star rock complex. <laughs> we've all got a rock star complex, but we can't, yeah. we're not good-looking enough, or we can't sing, or we can't play any music. So we go, well, what else can I do? All right, well, I'll be a speaker, because then I can stand on the stage and get a round of applause. Right? And, and I've known those speakers, and they're awful. They're awful. Yeah. But that is in every speaker. So let me just tell you that. I'm a speaker. been told for 34 years. That is in me but it can't be why I get on stage. Yeah. Do I love being on the stage? Yes. Do I love the applause at the end and the impact that I've had? Yes. But that can't be why I get on the stage. I got to get on the stage knowing the hill I'm willing to die on and my purpose. Why am I here to serve? Because as a speaker, in the truth of it, if you're a speaker leader, you are here to serve and not your ego. Your ego will get served, but that's not why you're there. So find your purpose. Read one red thread, find your purpose, decide on the hill you're willing to die on, meaning what is it you're fighting for? If you don't know what you're fighting for, nobody will rally around you. Well, I just want to make people's lives better. Well, you might as well go stand on the street and hand out roses. You know, who gives a shit? Nobody cares. <laughs> I, I, well, I just like helping people. Well, that's nice. Stand on the corner and help old ladies with their grocery bags. That's not going to do anything. Get out of the generalized. Decide what your purpose is and decide on the hill you're willing to die on. What is it you're willing to fight for that you would go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody about? And until you know that, shut up. And what I mean by the shut up is philosophically shut up. I don't want you to shut up speaking. I want you to go out and speak. Go out. If you don't know your purpose and you don't know what the hill is, go out and speak. Get the skills. Learn yeah. the skills. 
Because very often, what the hill is that you want to die on is revealed in the process. Ah, yes. Yeah. I think that is a great point to wrap things up. Possibly one of the most... Um, useful, powerful pieces of advice we've got out of this podcast so far, uh, which, which if you'll allow me to sum up is uh, if you're not leaving the stage with 15 to 20% of the audience hating you, <laughs> you did a bad job. Um, I love it. I love it. Well, like I said, as Larry Wingo said, if you're not getting death threats, you're not doing your job. <laughs> Dov, thank you so much. Uh, this has been really, really useful. Really, really great. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Richard. I appreciate you inviting me on. I appreciate the opportunity to serve. And I'm going to say this um, to you, the listener, is you know, Richard has taken the time to find great guests, to share their knowledge, their wisdom, their insights with you. And I don't know if you know, but podcasting doesn't pay. So this is a service yes, that somebody does. And so what I want you to do as the listener is a couple of things. Number one, don't listen to this podcast. Use it. it you know, information is worth the whole in the donut. Transformation comes from application. So use it. Number two, I want you to go to iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. The more subscriptions, the more reviews, the more rating gets, more people will come to listen, the more Richard gets to serve. We, he needs you because he doesn't know that you're on even on the other end. Remember, this is, this is a one-way system. It doesn't, we need your feedback. And the third thing is this. I want you to write to Richard. And actually, I'm going to give you my personal email. Uh-huh. My personal email is dov, D-O-V, at D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com. Dov at dovbaron.com. I want you to write to me, and then you can CC Richard and tell us what you got out of this particular episode and what you're going to do with it. Now, people think I'm crazy for doing that, but you know what? I'll tell you something. I get about two emails a week, and I do at least three interviews a week because people are lazy and they don't do things. So if you're committed to putting things in action, take that first step. Take it out of the philosophical, put it into the practical, write to us, tell you what you can do about it. And if I can serve you, if there's something I've said that you go, you know what, I want to work with Dove, I want to find out about working with Dove, write to me that you've got my email. I'm giving to give you that. But please give Richard the feedback. He needs it. So I am uh, extremely flattered and consider myself most unworthy. But uh, starting conversations is great. So absolutely. Um, email away, everybody, please. Thank you. Thanks, Dov. Thank you so much. Uh, talk to you again soon, I hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of Fireside with Voxkick. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art Not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other. One who can also learn. Visit foxgig.com slash newsletter to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Please also leave a review. That helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email richard at foxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, 
Just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, pause, and step forward.